0: The parliament is deeply soul nourishing,
1: regardless of the angle from which you enter. From Interfaith Alliance, this is State of Belief. I'm Interfaith Alliance President, Reverend Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch in Massachusetts.
0: It doesn't matter what your faith is. It doesn't matter if you don't have one. It doesn't matter if you don't even think of yourself as spiritual, not religious. You know, you could just be merely curious. This is a place, a time, a gathering, an opportunity to get a kind of nourishment that you're not going to find anywhere else.
1: Starting on Monday, August 14th, Chicago, Illinois will play host to a unique week-long global initiative for peace and mutual understanding, the Parliament of the World's Religions. With a history tracing back to 1893, the Parliament's convenings attract participants from more than 200 diverse religious Indigenous and Secular Beliefs from more than 80 nations. This year's theme is a call to conscience, defending freedom and human rights. We'll explore that theme and what we can expect in Chicago on this week's State of Belief. One thing you can definitely expect is me. I have been to many parliaments in past years, and I am excited that I have been invited to speak on the main stage in front of 10,000 people about the current crisis happening in religion and human rights around the world. So all this and more on this week's State of Belief. Thank you for listening. To get these important conversations in front of more of the people who need to hear them, we have partnered with Religion News Service, the leading religion journalism organization in the country. Please visit stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. Be sure to subscribe to The State of Belief at Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform, or at stateofbelief.com slash podcast. State of Belief is made possible in great part by the generous support of our listeners. If you've made a donation, thank you for helping get these conversation heard by more people who need them. If you haven't pitched in yet, information on how you can keep this show on the air is available at stateofbelief.com. And you can find out more about the work of Interfaith Alliance and join us at interfaithalliance.org. And now to my guests. The Parliament of the World's Religions is the world's largest, most diverse, and inclusive interfaith convening of people of faith, spirituality, and goodwill. Its origins are rooted in the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago, where the historic first convening of the World Parliament of Religions created a global platform for engagement of religions of the East and West and was therefore recognized as the birthplace of the modern interfaith movement. Rev. Stephen Avino serves as the Executive Director of the Parliament of the World's Religions On the staff of the Parliament since 2012, Stephen has remained deeply committed to the success of the global interfaith movement, serving as a key organizer for the 2015 Parliament Convening in Salt Lake City, the 2018 Parliament Convening in Toronto, and the 2021 Virtual Parliament Convening. Sarah Rahim, a young professional with vast interfaith experience who trains others in social impact. A progressive Muslim, Sarah is the past plenary speaker in the Parliament's inaugural Women's Assembly and has addressed the United Nations representing the Parliament and its mission. Phyllis Curat has served terms on the Parliament Board across three decades. One of the first public Wiccan priestesses in America, Phyllis is chairing this year's program and founded the Parliament's Women's Task Force. I am delighted to welcome all three of you to state of belief
2: great
3: to be here thanks for having us
2: Thanks Paul it's a pleasure to be here with all of you
1: this is really exciting for me I have been to several parliaments in my lifetime I was I was at the Parliament in Barcelona and in Melbourne and every time I went it was just it was so wonderful so um not overwhelming in a bad way, overwhelming, actually, like, like a big wave crashing over you. That's like, okay, I see the power here. I'm going to like, I'm ready for you now. So hey, wh- why don't we go back um, and, and do a little bit more history, a little bit more of like how the first parliament happened over a hundred, what is it? A 30 years ago now. Um, and, yeah. and what was the impetus for it then? And how is, how are we carrying that
3: impulse forward now? Stephen, why don't you answer that one? Sure. So the, the 1893 parliament actually was held in conjunction with the World's Fair in Chicago that year. Um, there were many parliaments uh, of different topics that were held as, as, um, as auxiliary congresses, they called them. And parliament of religions was one of them. There was a parliament of science, parliament of art. But the thing that captivated uh, the press at the time and the imaginations of people was this parliament of the world's religions. Um, and the idea behind it was to be a platform for people to learn about each other's traditions uh, on an equal level, uh, you know, whether that actually happened during that event, I would say we did it better in 1993, but uh, it, it was the first time uh, that the religions of the world came together in, and, and learned from one another and, and discussed uh, their beliefs.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it can't be understated how like it's a radical notion that um, actual competing worldviews that in many cases competed to the extent of of wanting to kill one another um, for for centuries were in the same room with one another. I think it's like it's under underappreciated what a radical notion that was, and how it continues to be a radical notion actually. Um, that we can come together disagreeing on some fundamental um, outlooks, but also agreeing that we want to be with one another. There's something really beautiful, really important about it. And every parliament represents that. Um, The theme this year, I'm very compelled by, uh, which is a call to conscience, defending freedom and human rights. Sara, you have been, you're a young person, has been in the interfaith movement for a long time. How does this theme resonate with you? And also as someone who's been around the parliament for a while. What does this theme represent to you as as uh, this moment in the interfaith movement?
2: Yeah, thanks, Paul. It's a great question. Um, well, I'm going to rewind a little and just talk about my own journey in the interfaith space. I think often as a young person um, belonging to a religious or cultural minority, it's often easy to get siloed, right? And as someone who's navigated the interfaith space for the past decade or so, um, it's very easy to see interfaith work as Abrahamic, as dialogue centered, and often lacking intersectionality. So I am so excited and energized by the fact that this year's parliament brings human rights front and center, because I think that speaks to so much of the work I've done across the social sector and it speaks to a value that so many people care about, whether you're religious or non religious or spiritual. And the fact that it's really kind of defending human rights and bringing folks together for a call to action, right? Thinking about how does my worldview um, inspire me or motivate me to see the inherent dignity and value of humans across the globe. So I am just jazzed up. And I think it speaks to, for me, the way I see interfaith work in terms of being very action-oriented, very intersectional, very inclusive. Um, So I'm really, really jazzed at that.
1: I'm with you. I can't wait to be there. And I can't wait to hear how it, how it comes through in the programming and all of the ways that people will be showing up. Phyllis, you have been involved in, in some of the most important work, bringing women's voices into the mix. Um, I don't need to explain to, uh, I think, our listeners that in in many um, situations, not every every, uh, tradition, but in many traditions, men's voices have been privileged uh, and actually women's voices suppressed. And so I think it's it's very powerful um, that there is an intentionality around lifting women's voices. Maybe you can explain a little bit about your background and then how it led you to that kind of work.
0: Well, uh, the the root of my motivation in um, laying claim to the stage for women, um, to have a safe and, and supportive and sacred space for them to articulate their concerns, their challenges, and their and their passion and the inspiration that each of them receives from their faith um, comes from my own as a a Wiccan priestess, which is a a minority faith also, much maligned and misunderstood, um, which has its roots in the indigenous wisdom traditions of my European ancestors, um, but which suffered from 500 years of persecution. And um, the figure of the witcher which meant wise one, which was essentially the shaman of the village, the community, the town, um, the culture, uh, became the figure onto which the culture's misogyny, a patriarchal culture's fear of women, of their spirituality, of their sexuality, of their independence, of uh, their capacity to articulate their own vision and experience of the divine, Um, that that was suppressed for 500 years. And so to take on that mantle was to take on the challenge to the culture of its misogyny. Um, But with that also comes a deep reverence for the earth and for the divine in its feminine guise and for how that is expressed in all women and in so many of the world's traditions, whether it's acknowledged or not. And so I was driven to um, make space for women. To challenge patriarchy, you know, to to um, uh, and and to challenge the patriarchy, uh, you know, one of the blessings of being an outsider is the freedom that comes with it, right? And so you don't have to stand within an institution, and and I do that as a lawyer, but I don't have to do it as a spiritual person. Um, and so part of the work has been to challenge the the oppression of women, the discrimination against women, the domination of women, um, the devastation of women's spirits and their bodies and their lives and young girls, a lot of which has been perpetrated by religion, patriarchal religions. And the parliament, um, because of its, its uh, remarkable foundational values of mutual respect for all human beings made room for us to begin to say as president carter did you were there in melbourne right 2009 he gave this remarkable speech which was part of the inspiration for the creation of the women's task force and the women's assembly and the women's plenary um, that in fact at the heart of every religion is this respect for the human being and that no religion demeans women. It's the interpretation or the misinterpretation of text and of tradition and of credo um, and hierarchical institutions, which tend to be male,
2: right?
0: that um, oppress women. And that has no place in religion. In fact, it's yeah. a contradiction. I mean, it, 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 it all, you, you, hear,
1: it you hear it almost all in uh, uh, part of the part of the truism of many, many interfaith um, gatherings is that you have five men up there Talking to one another, and I think that like that's that's I think part of the the important value of this is that it it just cuts off actually the wisdom that's available to the to the wider group, and um, so intentionally bringing uh, a more diverse in terms of gender. um, One of the questions, you know, just given going back to the theme that we're dealing with in this country is um, the the perceived um, the perceived tension between human rights and religious freedom. So what are, you know, this is, you know, if we look at cases where um, people are asking for the right to not um, not serve LGBT people or um, or others uh, based on their beliefs, like this is this is a really like an active tension in American society. And I think around the globe, how do you this is one of the things that I think will probably be parsed uh, when you bring this kind of theme into the parliament. Uh, Stephen, what, what, do, what are your thoughts about
3: that? It's, it's a really, really, uh, important topic that we are going to address throughout. Um, and we are going to be very clear that when we say that we're for religious freedom, that does not mean that that extends to, uh, and this is the reason why freedom and human rights, it does not mean that you have a right to use your religious, uh, your, your religion to discriminate or hurt other people. Um, and that's going to be very clear throughout the parliament. Yeah, I think it's just one of those act, really super active conversations
1: that's happening right now. At my, my organization, Interfaith Alliance, is really um, trying to put those two religious freedom and um, civil rights uh, in this country in conversation with one another um, and and not have um, one be a carte blanche uh, to, to overrule the other. And that's you know part of the, the trick there is um, that, that we're seeing right now.
0: One of the things that Carter said that has been at the heart of, of the Women's Task Force and the Declaration for the Dignity and Human Rights of Women, and is at the heart of this convening, is that discrimination cannot be justified on religious grounds. It's a fundamental contradiction, in fact, at the heart of every faith, is respect for human beings. And so you cannot use religious doctrine as a as a justification for discrimination. And as we begin to get our minds wrapped around that, right, then things begin to change in response to it. And I, I'm hoping that those are the conversations that we we're able to have at this convening.
1: Yeah. Um Sorry, you're, you, you've been around the interfaith block for a while. You're, you're, for, for many years, even though you're still um, young or young compared to me, let me put it that way. Uh, um, how do you understand kind of the evolution of interfaith in your lifetime and what, like, how interfaith looks and feels? Um, because it's always changing, just like everything. It's, it's always kind of meeting the needs of the current moment. I'm um, curious how how you how you're seeing interfaith the the role of interfaith in society right now.
2: Yeah, um, you know it's it's a great question, and I think um, you know 20, 30 years ago the model that we had makes sense, right? Where you mentioned perhaps a male dominated abrahamic space in that time it was progressive right it was pushing boundaries it was bringing together historically um sidelined or just uh, siloed folks to have conversations um and my my and my i guess my my challenge there is and then what right so even just the idea of Bridging the intergenerational gap and including young people. I feel like young people became a buzzword, right? um, I've historically supported the Next Generation Task Force. So recognizing there was a need to invite more folks in because a lot of the folks doing interfaith, intercultural work and dialogue um, were older, So, you know, I got brought into the space 10 years ago, and I'm still being labeled a young person. So I think, um, (laughs) for me, interfaith, intercultural work, it has evolved, right? It it has evolved. It's intersectional. I work with folks across the world um, who are doing their own work in their own context, pushing boundaries, promoting human rights, folks of faith, of non-faith. So I think a challenge I have for the interfaith space um, to push in conversation is how do we move the agenda? Um, beyond just maybe tokenizing young people to just having them inherently a part of the conversation from the get-go, right? Recognizing the diversity that's already happening on the grounds and elevating that and uplifting that because oftentimes we don't have to recreate the wheel. Oftentimes that work is already happening in another space. So I think we've come very far. And in many ways, um, folks are comfortable talking about religion and culture and identity and understanding its intersectionality. So I'm energized by the idea that the platform of the parliament will allow folks to uplift the work, the great work already happening, and perhaps Mm, allow others to learn from young people in the space who may know how to do interfaith work in a conflict zone, right, in a different area, um, defending human rights. uh, So that's my challenge, I think, is also moving away from siloing young people and really acknowledging the diversity of intercultural work, interfaith work as it is right now.
1: Yeah, well, I think also with young people, you have Um, The reality that many people are not identifying with a particular tradition, and yet they're very interested in the kind of conversations that can happen around uh, meaning, around, um, you know, value, uh, around respect, um, around listening. So I'm curious, um, Stephen, if there's how how are... um, I'm often wrestle with this. You know, we're an interfaith organization, too. And like sometimes people want to be included and sometimes they're like, no, we're not actually interested in being in part of your religious conversation or interfaith conversation. But what we're finding is actually people, everyone has beliefs. They just may not have a religious tradition that they adhere to. How how can they could they plug into the parliament uh, in its current form and maybe as it continues to grow?
3: Well, actually, uh, a significant portion of parliament attendees are don't consider themselves part of uh, a a specific religious tradition. Uh, I think something like 20 percent at at one of the parliaments uh, recently, either 2018 or 2015, were spiritual but not religious. Um, Hmm. We also have people who are unaffiliated. Uh, It really is a, a diversity of people who all, uh, what they do have in common is is the theme. Uh, they want to bring about a better world through defending freedom and human rights, it, with, which is our theme this time. Uh, and I think everybody, uh, no matter if you have a religious tradition or not, can get behind that, can get behind, uh, you know, that we all ha- have a stake here uh, in making sure that uh, the world doesn't go backwards in in a lot of our freedoms and a lot of our human rights. And that does, whether you're, Religious or not, I think you can get behind that. And that's the conversation that's being had at the Parliament this year.
1: We'll be back with more of this conversation with Reverend Stephen Avino, Sarah Rahim, and Phyllis Karat from the Parliament of the World's Religions. If you miss any part of today's program, you can hear full episodes of State of Belief anytime on our website at stateofbelief.com. And make sure you subscribe to the Next Generation podcast please go to stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. That's stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. You're listening to State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Welcome back to State of Belief. I'm Reverend Paul Rauschenbusch. The Parliament of the World's Religions convenes in Chicago on August 14th, and I am with Executive Director Reverend Stephen Avino, Sarah Rahim, and Phyllis Karat. One of the coolest moments, and I actually did a little piece on it uh, when I was at Huffington Post, uh, at the Parliament in Salt Lake City was the silent women's March. I don't know if you recall this, but it was a moment. It was really, um, and I, it makes me, you know, one of the things that, that seems cool as I begin to look through the, the program of this year is the non dialogue dialogue things that are happening, but recognizing that, you know, conversation and engagement and interaction can happen in a lot of ways that is not about words. uh, He says, as he says some more words, but uh, we're, you know, we, we, we have so many tools for uh, expression um, and engagement. Um, I'm curious, Phyllis, if, you know, what other things are you looking forward to at the parliament that maybe are not on the big stage, um, but maybe are expressed in different ways that can be equally moving and, um, and hopefully you know, inspiring for for more understanding and, and more engagement.
3: Well,
0: one of the, I mean, there's such an abundance. Every uh, faith has a, a sacred space, a faith space. And so the opportunity to, um, to partake, even if you don't fully understand the language, right? Or the symbols um, or the references that are being made, there is a quality when you step into a sacred space, even if it's a room in a conference center, right? The intention that is set by those for whom it is sacred and you enter that space and it affects you, it affects you emotionally, Um, especially if you don't understand the language, right? And it's just music or prayer or supplication. Um, There's something overwhelmingly beautiful about that.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: Um, There's music we punctuated all of the plenaries uh, with prayer but which are words but also with ritual we have shinto ritual and uh all uh, Stephen can speak to the list better than i can at this point um and music throughout because music speaks to our hearts and opens our hearts so um and without those we can't really learn and we can't really meet each other right um it's not just an intellectual undertaking it's an undertaking of the heart of our compassion
1: i remember in barcelona like i was with a group of students from princeton where i was working at the time and and i heard rumor about a sick, um, you know, Langar. And I was like, how do I get invited? I want to really, I want my students to get invited to the sick Langar. Uh, and, uh, and then, and they were like, no, no, anyone can come. I was like, no, anyone can't come. I mean, it's the entire parliament can't come to that. They're like, no, actually the entire parliament can come to this Langar and Langar is a, is a meal. It's a, it's, it, it's a meal. And, uh, and, and I was just like, what? And so we got in line and sure enough, you got in line and you went and they, they had people serving a wonderful vegetarian meal um, to the entire parliament, not asking for any money. And they were moving their lips as they were doing. I was like, what are they saying? And, and I was like, well, actually, they're all praying while they're doing it because this is a sacred act. And I think like that kind of thing, I think about seeing those women walk silently together representing tr- traditions that uh, have tr- have often been at odds and even at war with one another showing up with their bodies not saying anything and walking silently through the parliament and you could not not pay attention you know i mean it was like that, that was you know it was it you could it was it was more deafening than any words could have been because it showed so there's just so many ways and and the parliament gives a forum for this kind of creativity, which I think is wonderful because honestly, like, you know, the more we can be creative, I've been to lots and lots and as all, all three of you have too, lots and lots of interfaith stuff. And it can be really like, um, okay, formulaic and dry. And I think the more we can bring creativity, imagination, inspiration into it and really leave with, you know, more better ideas about ourselves and our community. I think it's, it's, it's wonderful.
0: There's going to be a women's village, which is filled with art and trees and fountains and water ceremonies and spontaneous ritual and invitations, oh for singing and music and all kinds of of magical eruptions. And now ah,
1: magical eruptions. I like that. So, I mean, this is OK. I know a lot of our listeners are like, well, I OK. I would like to be there. Are there ways that even if someone can't sign up, can they, are there things that are going to be streamed, Stephen, that people can sign into and possibly enjoy? Even if you can't get the visceral expect of the, of of the village, you can, you can still experience some of this, even if uh, our listeners may not have time to, to, to uh, pack their bags and book a trip, but uh, it would be great to, for people to know
3: uh, if there's a way to sign up. Yes, there, there is. Uh, it has not opened yet, but we will have streaming of the main stage sessions. So those are our plenaries and assemblies. And you will be able to watch those and interact with, with the other attendees, both virtual and in-person, uh, through our through our website while watching them. Um, and I want to mention, Paul, that uh, you, you spoke about the longar in Barcelona, and that was a longar by the sea. We're going to have a longar by the lake this time. So we are continuing that tradition. Oh, uh, wow. And, uh, those free free meals in Chicago.
1: It's really beautiful. And I think there's going to be some sort of parade on Sunday to start it off. I mean, these are people to our listeners like this is going to be like wild. Uh, It's going to be a celebration of all these like sacred um, traditions who are coming together to really create something beautiful. And I think that not only is it about like the individuals coming together and the, but it's casting a vision, I think, for our world about what could be possible. And one of those things that I really like that I don't think I've seen before is that there's going to be a parade of, of sacred music. Is that right, Sara?
2: Yeah, that is correct. Um, I was going to say, uh, hopefully, uh, an invitation for folks who are new to the worlds of interfaith engagement or well seasoned is just, the power of connection and relationships that you will form at the parliament. So for myself, example, um, back in 2015 in Salt Lake City, that was the first parliament I had ever attended. And at the convening itself, you meet so many people within sessions and outside of sessions. And uh, there were two individuals I met for the first time that now fast forward, um, you know, eight years later, four parliaments later, I am now co-hosting a session with them. So, uh, Parth Bansali and Skylar Ober. So we are all like great interfaith friends, and it's a running joke that we connect every few years at the parliament in different cities and different countries. So I encourage folks to um, attend and just be open to meeting people um, in shared spaces like Langar, like attending um, a parade or visiting an exhibit, and being open to connecting and chatting with folks. And um, you might surprise yourself. You might end up making some of your closest friends.
1: So. And, and sharing a session in two years. Yeah. And
2: my session <laughs> it, is now The happen. Power of a Network. So what is the value of cultivating, maintaining, expanding, leveraging your network, especially in the interfaith world? Um, let's just say it's helps me uh, do a lot and achieve a lot in such a short time. So there's such value to cultivating that space.
1: I love it. So, so t- talk to me a little bit about the, uh, the Parade of Music
3: and Culture. So I can, I can uh, speak to that. So it will actually be uh, the Parade of Faiths, which will have music, culture, dancing, uh, you name it. Uh, many, many different communities from all over the city will be taking part. Uh, and it's going to be from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock p.m. Uh, on Sunday afternoon. So it's a pre-parliament event. Uh, on the Sunday before the Parliament begins.
1: And it's open, right? This is on the streets of Chicago. I think. you know I mean so anybody can come. you don't have to have a ticket to go to the exactly. parade. You can you, you know you can celebrate in that way, which I think is is really important. Uh, Phyllis, tell me what success looks like to you for mm. the the Parliament. Like what is what is it what will it mean that the Parliament this year or if it's not this year, ultimately is successful? In what it's trying to do
0: well there are a few things one is the personal and sarah spoke to that perfectly um the personal relationships that are forged that are unexpected and unanticipated uh, that change your life and when your life changes the way that you're able to change the world around you is amazing um so there's that uh, there are ten thousand stories about that, uh, and and we know that that's going to happen. The other is um, a sense of inspiration that people take away when people come together at the Parliament. When you when you are there, it's it becomes addictive. You want to come to the next. You know when is the next one? When is the next one? When is the next one? And people travel, as you know, having done it. Right? We travel. I started in nineteen ninety three. I've gone to all of them except South Africa. That you will go anywhere in the world to be present at this extraordinary moment where the world is the way, you know, it's meant to mm. be. Mm. That it is the way it can be the way it should be. And we are making it that way. And so you come out of it, you come into it with hope and you come out of it with certainty that uh, you've experienced that. the best of who we are. I, and that I love that belief you have, has been validated. And it, so that inspires you to engagement and action um, in whatever way, you know, in whatever your faith community or social justice community, you come away inspired and energized also with best practices. People come away with yeah. skills, skills, which is yeah. remarkable and an expanded Super network. Important. And then finally, this year, above all, our theme, this is a pivotal moment, as Nancy Pelosi said in the message that she sent to us that will be screened at the closing plenary. This is a critical moment. This is a struggle of freedom versus fascism. And it's happening not just in this country, but all over the world. And it's critical. This is the moment. And this is the moment that we live in and that people of faith are being called to. That- yeah. uh, um, yeah, I, I, could, I agree
1: completely. It's it's it's. But the the trick here is is that um, in many countries, in too many countries, religion is actually giving sanction um, and inspiration and cover to authoritarian um, and fascistic uh, uh, impulses. And we, we, we this is not this is not just a Christian thing. This is in other traditions. And right. um and it's it, you know I really do feel like the difference. Um, between, it's not so much a difference between faiths. It's really difference between how you um, exercise your faith and what your view, worldview is towards other people um, of difference and whether or not that is a cause for celebration and, and curiosity and inspiration, or whether that's a cause um, for a kind of domination and, and um, a, sen- a censorship. And I I do think that we're you know, I, I I would like to think that we're the future, but I think it's it is a something we're going to have to work for. Uh, Stephen, how do you understand that uh, it, this this global authoritarianism mixed with religion and and the role, the specific role that that the parliament has to play in that?
3: Well, I think that that's the entire the entirety of why we we chose to have the theme uh, be called "A Conscious Defending Freedom and Human Rights" because because of that, because we see. Uh, 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 people using religion uh, as a tool to prop up their own authoritarian impulses. And uh, this is, like you said, it's happening uh, in many, many different places around the world. It's a global problem. Uh, and this event, this parliament is the way for p- people of faith to, to repudiate that, to come together and say, this, is not, this is, does not represent religion. It doesn't represent our, our faith traditions. Uh, And we do not want to see the world go this way and and continue to to follow this path. Um,
1: Yeah. I really appreciate that. And, uh, and you know, I I think, I I think it's important, frankly, and I'll say this to your face uh, because I've been thinking it like, it's important that the parliament decided to do this because it, 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 the parliament is taking itself serious enough to know it has a specific role in this moment and that we can't just assume that, um, you know, the status quo is going to work because we really are up against it right now. And, and the, the, you know, what, what is the, the opportunity is to be forthright and at the same time, invitational. Uh, so figuring out ways that we can set forth a vision and invite as many people as possible to it. Um, that's, I think, in this country is really important. Um, saying that just because um, I'm you know, against Christian nationalism doesn't mean I'm against conservative Christians who are very, very devoted to their faith. I want to extend a hand. I want you to be part of our circle. You just don't get to be in the middle of it. Uh, and you don't get to dictate everything to everybody else. But that's okay. We all have to like, learn how to be with one another. And so, so I think the parliament taking on this specifically is really important. And I want to applaud all of you who have worked so hard to develop this. It's just really important. Sarah, uh, what gives you hope right now? As you go into the parliament, you're also working at a place I love, Interfaith America, which I where I worked until I took on Interfaith Alliance and you you you're working there, you're going to the parliament. There's so much good stuff happening, but what gives you hope right now?
2: Ah, Paul coming with the heavy questions. <laughs> what well, gives me hope? I think um, in many ways, some of the folks on the screen give me hope, like Stephen Avino, Phyllis, um, yourself, for us to have meaningful, courageous conversations around topics that have historically been taboo to acknowledge the healthy tension of religious freedom and defending human rights. And I think the potential of the parliament gives me hope that there are people who significantly care about these issues that are willing to show up, be present, build momentum, lead with the movement and then hopefully take back what we've learned and cultivated into our own communities and like take those micro actions, right? I think that gives me hope, knowing that um, we're not gonna solve everything overnight and there is power and potential in these conversations and being able to leverage, um, you know, in many ways, and this may be like reference in the global ethic, right? At its best, religion, faith, and culture, they shape the ways in which we think and the ways of the world in many wise and wonderful ways. So I think leaning into that for me gives me hope and being able to take that narrative back to my community and center myself on that.
1: Beautiful. Phyllis, what gives you hope?
2: Um,
0: well, the experience of the parliament is, it's a hope generator and, um, and when we address this particular issue at this particular moment, I'm hoping that it not only encourages people, but it it gives them courage um, because that's essential right now. At the, uh, fascism works in a variety of ways. It works with disinformation. It works with fear. And part of that fear is the fear of the other, right? And it doesn't matter what the faith is, right? This goes on all over the world, whatever the other is, right? The antagonism is directed at them, and that reinforces the power of the demagogue. And the parliament is the answer to that. It's part of the antidote. We don't other each other, right? We acknowledge each other, we receive each other, we honor each other, we appreciate, we value each other, we eliminate that conscious, that, that, that distorted idea of the other being a source of fear instead right. we see each other as as members of a family you
1: know. right um, i love
0: that so i take hope that gives me that always gives me hope and right now it's it's like right on target uh, right into the heart of what they use uh, to manipulate and to seize power and to do damage and i i see us yes, i have hope that we are part of the healing force
3: the
1: antidote to that toxin. Mm. Stephen, last uh, last word on, on hope.
3: Well, um, I guess I could to add to what Phyllis is saying about people needing courage. I think what gives me hope is 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 people. If you if you talk to people one on one, they're pretty disgusted with the way things have been going in the world. Uh, the problem is, is people feel powerless. Uh, and, and the parliament is a way for people to feel powerful, uh, and and to, to come together and, and express, uh, what their hopes for the world. Um, and so the parliament itself gives me hope people give me hope. Um, and, and, and my faith gives me hope, I would say. Mm. Talk a little bit more about that. What is your, what is your faith? Uh, I'm a Christian, uh, actually, uh, uh, was ordained in, in 2019, uh, through uh, an independent Catholic jurisdiction, uh, and so uh, that's very important to me. But I actually got was not uh, raised very religious. That actually came out of of going to the Parliament, um, uh, being around different faiths, and learning from from one another actually made me stronger in my own faith. And so that's another reason why the Parliament is is very important to me.
1: This is the new tagline. Get some faith. Come to the parliament. I know that's not right. I'm just joking. I'm joking with you all. I'm, I I. feel I feel I can joke with you because I feel comfortable with you. And I feel like um, we're we're so aligned. I'm so excited to join you out there. And congratulations. This is a lot of hard work and and the world um, needs it. And the world is grateful, and I'm. Um, I think we're going to have a great time together. So, um, for all of our listeners, if you can't come this year, put it on your calendar. Is there a next one that's coming up? Do we know? Can you let the cat out of the bag, or do we? Is it? Is this a secret that? Are we going to break some news right now? What is the next one?
0: <laughs> there are several cats in the bag.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, okay. You all are being very coy. Uh, so, so stay tuned, people, either pack your bags, get to the parliament this time or stay tuned for the, for the next parliament, because it's, it's, uh, I have a feeling it's going to be a doozy no matter where it is and what it is. So, um, what is the one thing that, that each of you has wanted to say, but hasn't had the opportunity, um, and uh, you know, take take a uh, one to two minutes to let us let us know about it.
2: I'm happy to jump in and give you a user friendly guide on how to navigate the Parliament of the World's Religions. So you know, you log in, you get that app, you get that one pager, and it looks like a meaty week, a hefty week. There is many many days of incredible programming, both before, during, and after. And I would say. Spend some time with the program in advance, you know, download the app or um, online and just start the sessions you're interested in, support the folks, you know, going so, you know, come to my sessions, look up my name, Sarah Rahim, and I'd say, um, be open to exploring. It's easy to get overwhelmed. There's so much happening. Uh, But I think setting some goals for each day of I want to try this new thing, go to this location. Make sure you go have Lungar because it is the best meal you're going to have. And have a good time, I'd say. Just uh, be present. So um, those are all best practices. You know, talk to someone who you don't know, someone who may seem familiar, someone who may seem different. And um, yeah, be open to surprises and learning and listening and adapting. And also make some time to also unwind and debrief and just... um, you know for any introverts out there there's a lot of quiet corners too so there are many ways to engage with and be present right. at the parliament
3: beautiful i think i can build on that by saying that uh it, it's one of the great things about the, uh, the location this year is it's right on lake michigan uh, and walking into the parliament you'll get a view of lake michigan uh that's in, that's incredible uh, so it, it's, it's, it's gonna feel a little different than the past where you were boxed in in the convention center. Uh, it's, really, it's really quite, quite breathtaking. And um, we're gonna have uh, a lot of outdoor sessions on, on the terraces, uh, including a, a sacred fire that will be running uh, throughout the parliament uh, and by the indigenous communities and uh, a labyrinth and, and a lot of really cool things that are gonna be going on out, outside of, of the building.
2: Mm.
0: So in in keeping with all of this, I think I want to encourage people to come because these are hard times. We went through the pandemic and everybody was very isolated. Um, We come out into a world that politically looks an awful lot like it looked when we were isolated, right? Um, It's easy to start to feel discouraged and disempowered. And to question whether there's anything a single person can possibly do in the face of climate change and uh, poverty and now fascism, it's overwhelming. It's really overwhelming. And that's why you need to come uh, because you're not alone. The parliament is deeply soul nourishing regardless of the angle from which you enter. It doesn't matter what your faith is. It doesn't matter if you don't have one. It doesn't matter if you don't even think of yourself as spiritual, not religious. You know, you could just be merely curious and have stumbled on this podcast and heard us saying, this is a a place, a time, a gathering, an opportunity to get a kind of nourishment that you're not going to find anywhere else. Hmm. Um, It's restorative. It's um, inspiring. And uh, you'll come out of it feeling strengthened and uh, with a kind of clarity that you didn't know that you were capable of and a kind of um, direction that may not have been obvious. From a practical point of view, the more people who come, the louder and clearer our voices, the world is watching and the world hasn't seen strong and clear, articulated religious leadership in response to the threat of authoritarianism right now, religions are being used and abused by authoritarians. And it's essential for all of us to stand up and say, no, that's not who we are. And so just showing up magnifies your voice 10,000 fold or 30,000 fold. And that's Mm -hmm. empowering. It's incredibly empowering.
1: Reverend Stephen Avino is Executive Director of the Parliament of the World's Religions, convening August 14th in Chicago. Sarah Rahim is a past plenary speaker in the Parliament inaugural Women's Assembly. And Phyllis Kurat has served terms on the Parliament Board for over 30 years. I really want to thank all three of you for being with me on the State of Relief and all of the great work you're doing in the world.
3: Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here.
2: Thanks so much.
1: And that's all the time we have for this week's State of Belief. Please be sure to subscribe to the new and improved podcast called The State of Belief at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform or at stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. Subscribe to The State of Belief today. We need your help keeping State of Belief on the air, and I hope you'll consider being a partner in this crucial work by making a financial contribution today. Information on how to donate is available at stateofbelief.com. That's stateofbelief.com. And you can also be a part of making sure informative and encouraging voices like these are heard by sharing this program with friends and family. Let's get more people listening and more people taking part both on and off the air. And join the conversation. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at State of Belief or at Interfaith Alliance and share State of Belief with the people in your life. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Religion News Service or Religion News Foundation. State of Belief is produced by Ray Kirstein and is a production of Interfaith Alliance. Become a member today at interfaithalliance.org and be sure to join us next week. I cannot wait. Until then, I'm Paul Rauschenbusch on State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet.